Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hello, listeners and baseball fans alike to this episode of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Patch, one of your co-hosts, and with me is the catcher to my pitcher, my best friend and co-host, Aaron. Strike one! Oh, yeah, I like it. Wait, was that a dig? Were you giving me a strike because I had a bad intro? I hope not. <laughs> I wasn't, but now I am. Oh, dig number two. Gonna pivot, I think. Oh, you gosh. Two left. <laughs> you get a if I get a strike three looking, you got to give me the uh, bow and arrow. <laughs> ah, you know, I'm just going to hit that boot person from the recording button. Ah, <laughs> Just you're going right back be- to the bench. Then it becomes an FF plus episode at that point, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's these days, it's all about the umps making it about themselves anyway. So that would be very true. brand. <laughs> true, 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 true. Good call there. Well, this week, we decided to cover a movie that neither of us had ever heard of prior to a couple of weeks ago, which can be high risk, high reward. And... <laughs> We'll get into the specifics of how we found out about it here in a minute, but Bang the Drum Slowly, feature film based on a novel that was also produced as an episode of television, stars a young Robert De Niro as a dying baseball catcher whose friend and teammate Henry, a star pitcher, does what he must to make sure his friend has one last season on the diamond. Sounds good on paper. Will it be good in conversation? Let's find out. This is your official spoiler warning for the movie. Um, if you're listening, you're just curious at this point, I imagine, because it's a movie that is not necessarily, I don't think, very popular in the sports world, at least not to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or beyond him. So we'll go ahead and get right into that. So spoilers abound. Here we go. All right. The way that we found out about this, Aaron, was you sent me a link to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's Substack page, which surprised me because I didn't even know that the guy had a Substack page. But what do you do in retirement? Uh, besides being a pundit for basketball, you right. just t- talk about whatever's <laughs> on your mind about anything. And I had a chance to peruse some of his other articles, and they're definitely not sports related. And, uh, you know, fun to, fun to wa- watch, fun to read, and then also just a way to check out some of his other interests. But this one piqued my interest. It's actually a two-part blog post. Uh, Part one is him essentially listing off genres of categories, explaining how he gets to those winners. And then before he gets to part two, this is what's funny. He does a part one and a part two, but in part one, he already reveals what he considers the GOAT of sports movies. And I think, you know, save that for part two, Kareem. That's kind of how you build the suspense. You get through all of your genres, you make your explanations, you give your honorable mentions, and then you do the goat. Because I was only curious about part two because he mentioned there was a part two. Otherwise, I would have been like, all right, Kareem, you're good to go. So there's a lot here. I want to give a little bit of context into how he defines best for him. Good idea. So there are three main things. It has to capture the essence of whatever sport is being featured. Uh, The story has to offer some intelligent insights into the drive to compete. And the effects of that competitiveness has, has on the potential protagonist and others around them. And then finally, for him, he wants to watch it again and again. Those are not bad categories. Um, He also recognizes the fact that most sports films usually fall into the two categories, Triumph of the Underdog, or Sports as a Metaphor of Life. He also identifies a couple of subcategories. Outsider Coach earns redemption from past mistake. I think that's a little on the nose for a couple of movies, but that's why they're subcategories. And then also Ragtag Group of Misfits learns to be a team. (laughs) Okay. I don't disagree with a lot of those. I think that sports movies have that kind of overlap, and I think the ones that I definitely enjoy and you as well can fit into some of those categories. So I want to hand it over to you. Let's talk about some of the ones that that he's mentioned. Uh, we don't have to go through the entire exhaustive list, but what were some that stood out to you in terms of what you agree with, some that you had never really heard of before and were kind of curious to check out, including Bang the Jump Slowly? And uh, yeah, what, what do you think, man? Well, first of all, I was a little upset or bummed, I guess, that my friend Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, as a Laker fan, I can say that I can claim him because I've been rooting for his team for my whole life. But I was a little wanting. I wish he would have had a racing category 
first and foremost, I just want to say I wish he would have had a racing category. You know, I'm looking at his list up on the side, and I've also got my own list on Letterboxd, which I call my Sports Film Hall of Fame, which is all of my like four and a half, five star sports films. And I have quite a few racing related movies in there. I've got you know, Rush and Grand Prix and Cinna. It's a documentary, but I've got even Speed Racer. You know, I've, I've got some some fun racing movies and there's just nothing there. There's also nothing represented from any sort of like extreme sports of skating, biking, climbing, those kind of things, which I also really enjoy. I think that's okay. He's definitely leaning more towards team sports, which is probably why all of these things, except for like track and field, I think he put running on here. Didn't he put running on here? There's a there's Yeah, a, and also golf. He put and golf. That's true. So I guess I can't even give him a pass. So never mind. You're still on the the crap list, Curry. You're not <laughs> off it yet. But you know, I just wanted those things to show, or documentaries, because I just I adore sports documentaries myself. I'm obsessed with them. As for his list, it's a lot of good movies, Patrick. I mean, first of all, like you know, he has good taste. I would say. I think in some categories, his taste aligns with mine pretty well. Baseball movies not necessarily withstanding the best of all time choice. We'll talk about that. But I think he lists some really good movies on there. His football picks are extremely solid. You know, he he also does, he has, he has a mix of new and old. So, you know, he's got like the longest yard on there, but then he also has Friday Night Lights. And so he understands like, he, he's not stuck in his own generation when he grew up and the movies that he grew up with. And I appreciate that because his list does span legit. I mean, his boxing picks, his two tied for boxing champion, which I, I almost think he picked two on purpose just so he could say there's a split decision. I thought that was like an intentional witty pun. He, I liked it. So whatever, but I had never heard of either one of his boxing movies, uh, you know, and then we get into his honorable mentions and it's like, Oh, I've seen all those, <laughs> you know, raging bull and Creed and Rocky. And so I think, you know, it's a really good list. I think good list making, Patrick, isn't necessarily about just putting down all of the things that you like that pretty much everybody else also likes. I think yeah. list making should have some semblance of discovery to it. Like when you and I did our episode recently on our feeling film favorites, I forgot what we called it, but it was basically 20 movies or something that we 15 movies that we feel like define us. You know, we debated some of this and we ended up picking some things that were a little different here and there with that purpose in mind. And I appreciated that about his list. I did not know what this movie personal best track and field like I'd never heard of it. So I actually got to expand my watch list some by reading his list, which I appreciated. Well, and, and that that is first and foremost what I appreciated about it as well is that I have other movies now that are on my list to watch. Vision Quest, I started that last night. I couldn't finish it because it was late. But my friend Adam, our friend Adam, he's friends with Matthew Modine. And so it was very coincidental that as we were finishing up our Stranger Things watch on AOS, we were talking about Matthew and then this movie pops up on the sub stack. And I'm like, well, I definitely need to watch this one. And of course, you know, he was excited. Uh, Adam was excited that I was checking it out. Haven't finished it yet. Again, fell asleep before I got real sleepy. So planning on finishing it here this week. But I think what makes this list really well read for me is that he does give criteria. He's not just saying these are my favorites. He really does. I mean, when you say something's the best, you have to put parameters around it. You have to say in order to define best, this is why it needs to happen. And so when I agree or disagree with his actual pick or his runners up, I have to consider, okay, am I going to put them in one of these three categories? Does it meet this? Does it meet this? How well does it do that? And so it allows me to be a little bit more objective. And I think his whole audience to be more objective because he gives some objectivity. If it's me, I'm going to say Rocky is the number one boxing movie ever and nothing will ever compete with it. But what do I have to go on besides the fact that I love the movie? Nothing. I mean, I can make arguments. I've talked about Rocky, I think, on three or four different podcasts, and I ramble on all of them because there's so much to it that I connect with. At the very least, Rocky is going to be one of those movies that falls into category three. I want to watch it again and again. Sing Street's another one. It's not a sports movie, but it meets that criteria. So I can agree with that. But when I look at the other two for Rocky specifically, 
does it capture the essence of whatever sport is being featured? I don't know because there's not a lot of like boxing per se. We don't get, we get his opening fight with Spider Rico and we get the fight with Apollo at the end, but those are the only two. So does it really meet that criteria? Well, you could say it does because there's a training montage and boxing is sort of around him because the only reason Rocky exists as a character is because boxing exists. Otherwise, to quote him, he would just be another bum from the neighborhood. All right. And so when I think about these other movies, I like the fact that he has those categories because then I can say, yeah, I can see how you picked that. I mean, he's got Hoosiers as best basketball movie. I liked it. I don't think even after we talk about it on Feelin' Film, it's not one of my favorites because I don't think it's the most well executed, even though it's a feel good for me. Like, I love the story of Norman Dale. I love this idea that it's in its simplicity, it's a movie that puts us in a place where we're rooting for the good guys. But it's different than The Way Back, where we have Ben Affleck and he's dealing with a heavier piece there. But there's still some elements that you get from Hoosiers that land here, but it feels a little bit more honest. It feels less like rah-rah and more about like, yep, this is this is real life here. So I would put something like The Way Back ahead of Hoosiers. But for the most part, I'm the same as you. I think all of his runners up, I'm like, yep, I've seen that one, like that one. But again, I also like expanding my palette of specifically on those boxing movies. I've got Hard Times and Champion ready to watch at some point. So I'll be able to really say definitively, not are these better than Rocky, but do these stand out as good boxing movies according to Kareem's criteria? Yes, for sure. And then I also want to just say that his GOAT sports movie pick of The Hustler is not even the best movie in its two-movie series. So big fail, Kareem, right there, my friend. Hustler's a good movie, but The Color of Money is better. Yeah, agreed. Very <laughs> sorry, dude. <laughs> I didn't go and and look deeply, but I know that. So that's two movies that Paul Newman starred in are on this list, and k- kind of cheating if you call "Bang the Drum Slowly." He's not in the movie, but he is in a version of "Bang the Drum Slowly." But that did stick out to me. That it just reminded me of how present Paul Newman was in some of these big sports movies during his career. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe he has a little crush and that kind of came through. I can't blame him. I, <laughs> I can't. Well, no, no. I mean, no, it's it's not an it's not an un uh, you know, it's 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 definitely worthy for sure. I think Paul Newman's fantastic in pretty much everything that he does. I will say this, in his second post, he made a note to mention that a lot of the movies that he picked were pre-2000. So you had mentioned earlier that he has a wide palette. It's not just from one era. But he does point out that a lot of the movies he picks fall in the you know, 60s, 70s, and 80s. And I think he, he says something about, I don't have it pulled up, but he says it's because there was like this renaissance of filmmaking that was, that was happening. And all these movies that were coming out, not just sports movies, but there was like this kind of bigness to, to filmmaking that wanted to bring people to the theater and not just feel like they're getting a cheap two-hour entertainment, but more about how just big it was. And I think that's why he connects with a lot of these, because they all felt very emotionally like big to him. Like these were not movies that he would be queuing up on his DVD, DVR, RCA, whatever was he was using at the time. These are not VODs necessarily. And, you know, I'll say this, that for some of these movies, they're definitely dated. And that may speak to the strength or weakness. We'll get into it. But I think that for the most part, I would agree that a lot of your your big themed movies were happening in the 70s and 80s with Star Wars and all this stuff where going to the theater was an experience and wanting to see these things play out. So I can't disagree. I And I don't think he would say that anything after 2000 was, was crap. I think he would say that the ones he'd gravitate towards are those and for those reasons. So I appreciate his honesty there. I guess I had not seen the part two, so I'll take back part of my dig where I mentioned that he didn't do any biking movies because he did specifically do bicycling movies, although Rad is not on there, so I don't that's, know if I yeah, can take it a, seriously. That's a, that's, a, that's a fail. Right <laughs> he, there, also, he, he also does he does soccer, 
He does ice skating, but no skating. Mm-hmm. He does skiing and your film that you love, Eddie the Eagle, got a nod. Yep. And then he mentions a couple of martial arts uh, standouts with a whole bunch of honorable mentions that's also really good. Oh, he does do yeah. roller skating. Just not. Oh, yeah. Roller just ball. Not, yeah. He just doesn't do uh, skateboarding. That's what he doesn't do. Yeah. So yeah. I could think of a couple of good skateboarding too. But anyway, yeah, part two is pretty cool too. I just now I'm kind of real quickly perusing that. I'll I'll look at it and read it in depth when we get off here. All right. Well, let's jump off that diving board into a, a pool of our specific movie. Uh, that was, I don't know what kind of analogy that was or metaphor. But anyway, we're, we're into Bang the Drum slowly. This is 1973, Robert De Niro, Michael Moriarty. And um, this was a movie that, he picked as his best baseball movie running runners up being, uh, I think a league of their own Moneyball, bull Durham, bad news bears, the natural, all of which are you know good movies for sure. I would have to say that I was surprised that he picked this. And so to kick it over to you, did he get it right? Subjectively speaking, in your opinion? I mean, no, <laughs> not even, <laughs> not even close. So there are not, a lot of baseball movies that I adore. There are plenty of baseball movies that I like a whole lot. But for me, when I looked at my sports film Hall of Fame, I don't have a lot of four and a half and five star baseball movies. It just has not, for some reason, been a sport movie subgenre that that really resonates for me at the, the height of the genre. Now, I know plenty of people who have movies that are, you know, listed in his honorable mentions that are among their favorite films of all time, right? And I think you're really stretching here to pick this movie over some of them, things like The Natural, things like Field of Dreams, you know, some of the ones that everybody would immediately go to, like a Hoosiers for basketball. There are just certain movies that people gravitate toward and remember fondly. Even A League of Their Own, his runner-up, I mean, I would put so far above this. I think this is not really a baseball movie, and that's part of my issue with it, is I think that Bang the Drum Slowly is a fine drama set in the world of sports, but it really doesn't have anything to do with the sport itself. And so because of that tangential connection, I don't feel that it really deserves to be lauded as a best of anything with regards to being on a sports movie list. And I think it was just a fine film. Like it, I have some issues with it. Uh, I don't think everything about it works perfectly, but that's my big one is that I, there's really not like there's some baseball scenes. Sure. But it's all quick cut photography. You're not really getting any base. It's kind of like, Ted Lasso in a in a way to be honest like the way that we see soccer in Ted Lasso is the worst part of that show and has been for 3 years. They still haven't figured out how to make it look good. It's gotten better though. I'm going to say this. Okay, a little bit. But like this relatively particularly yeah, no no no. Eh. Relati- let's 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 set the bar. Okay. Because I I I completely agree. Like the bar was way low for that first season. It's gotten marginally better. It's not first of all, I mean just as a side note, the camera's too close to the wide shots. It should be further up because that's what you see when you're watching a match. That's what you see when you're playing FIFA. At least give us some wide shots there. Okay, done with that. But yes, I absolutely agree. The The drive of that show is similar to what I think is the drive of this movie. The problem that I have with it is that you can take this story and absolutely put it in any other place that's not sports. Because the stories, mm-hmm. yeah, in the workplace, what I think wor- the the idea is so fantastic, Aaron, and I I'm going to say this very bluntly: we need more brotherly relationships. We need more best friends who are guy relationships. I just finished finally because this is who I am. You know me, listeners. I'm very slow when it comes to things that I want to finish. I finally finished the first season of Welcome to Wrexham. The penultimate episode really does in sort of a slight tongue in cheek, but in a halfway serious way, 
highlights the level of br- not just brotherliness, but male friendship. Like there's a there's a psych, uh, an author who's being interviewed and she says the idea of a bromance is sort of a tongue-in-cheek way to acknowledge the fact that men can have relationships that aren't sexual. Men can have relationships that you can fully embrace someone with a hug. You can cry on another man's shoulder. You don't have to do all this other like macho-ness that sort of toxicifies this culture that you can't do that. And I think that that's lost. And the fact that we have to sort of apologize for it by using phrases like bromance is it's unfortunate because what we're doing is we're acknowledging the truth that men can have relationships with each other that doesn't involve their penises. Okay. I mean, just being very blunt about that. And I think that it, it can't be one. It has to be either just friends or a homosexual relationship. Why can't it be a Jonathan David relationship from, from the Bible? This movie does not apologize for that. This movie puts it at the front and center. And I love, love, love the idea. The execution of it, however, does not work for me. And it feels at the end of the day, like this is a made for TV movie or a very highly produced after school special because it's structurally very like misguided. You'll have scene, scene one that happens and then scene two happens next. And there's really no through line. There's no, there's potentially like narration by Moriarty's character. And I think that because it doesn't feel like we're being told a story, but we're just getting pockets of scenes, they're all trying to fit together. And I think the baseball aspect of it is the umbrella that it's trying to fit under. So you have a manager that is trying to suss out what's going on with these two guys. And if you weren't a manager, they weren't on this baseball team, it wouldn't really make sense. Like, who is this guy and what does he care about? But it could be a boss in an office building. It could be a Michael Scott. I mean, not that that funny necessarily, but this whole thing, for me, what happens is I never feel like the road that the team is on to win a pennant is ever really like amplified because of the relationship between these two. So if the idea is I want to keep um, Henry and I want to keep Bruce on the team because I care about him, but I'm not going to tell anybody what his issue is. And then Bruce sort of gets better and the team kind of rallies around him and then they get better. The end result is kind of poo because it's like, well, the team didn't really change. They just sort of used Bruce as a, as a, like a scapegoat or a, or a way to help get them motivated. And then they win a pennant that's not really actualized on screen. It's just sort of told, oh yeah, give me a scorecard. So it never really feels sportsy to me. It just feels like a drama, but the drama itself doesn't really feel executed as well. Yeah, (laughs) you're spot on for how I reacted to this as well. There were moments that I enjoyed for sure. There were scenes, individual scenes that I was like, oh, that was a lot of fun. Or I really enjoyed getting to see the interaction between these two men who were developing a friendship and like you i will just say i co-sign everything you said right there absolutely love seeing best friend male relationships on screen and just normalized and it's okay you know it's okay for men to be sensitive and to tell each other about their problems and to care about each other and to make sacrifices for each other so that was one of the cool things about this is that henry does make a sacrifice he puts his contract priority on getting Bruce to be tied to him and to becoming part of the team. He doesn't care as much about winning and he doesn't care as much about necessarily what he makes unless it comes with this caveat. And one thing I really enjoyed about their progressive relationship is that they're not really that close in the beginning they're they're kind of friends but what happens is henry sees bruce as this loner and as this he he rec- okay he observes he is paying attention <laughs> he he is not just looking at his phone okay to use a modern reference he is observing the things around him he knows that bruce doesn't have a lot of family and friends and close people to him He doesn't look at him as 
a case of someone that he needs to take care of per se. But in a sense, he does. He sees that he needs someone to be close to. And he offers himself up into that position. He makes an effort, puts out the time to build a friendship. And and I guess my point is, it's a choice. He makes a choice. It's not just some natural thing that, that happened, that they're perfectly best friends because they have all these things in common. He finds this thing out about Bruce and he says, I'm going to make sure that you have an awesome rest of your life or awesome year. And he does so, right? And And I just think that's so beautiful and so sacrificial and so caring about someone else. And he does his best to do so without ever bringing, you know, Bruce's condition in front of the rest of the team. One of the funniest gags or funniest things in the movie is really is the manager Dutch, who I I believe gives the best performance in the movie, to be completely honest with you. Uh, He's played by Vincent Gardenia. And I think that he just has the most charismatic role and he gets he basically gets to swing for the fences and go nuts in every scene and so I really loved him every time he's on screen but he's constantly badgering Henry and trying to like get out of him what his reason for doing this contract is because it affects the manager right like he's trying to put together the best team possible and so I actually have conflicted feelings about this as a sports movie I'm like is this the is this a beautiful sweet thing he's doing yeah is it fair to the rest of the team when we know that Bruce is not the best catcher to be on the roster and you could have a person that is more competitive and able to help you succeed as a team? E, ah, there's a line. It's tough. It's it's complicated. Uh, but And so Dutch is like driving towards that. He's like wanting to get to the root of this because he's like, I need to put the best team possible on the field and there's a better catcher out there that could be helping us right now. And I love how, you know, Henry tries his best to just keep it private. He's never a jerk about it. He's always calm. He's always nice when he talks about it to Dutch. Um, It's just, it's a really beautiful relationship with the two of them going, you know, from point A up until the point where Bruce ultimately kicks the bucket. and. Yeah, I look at I look at their relationship between between these two, Henry and Bruce, and I I like I guess it's the altruistic nature of Henry. I don't know that we ever get to a why. I mean, if it I, I can buy the fact that he sees him and he cares deeply about him, but we start with the car ride to Bruce's parents' house and Henry's narrating, he's doing voiceover. And he sort of just describes Bruce as this guy who, you know, he's made fun of by the team. And, you know, it's really an establishment of cool guy nerd in some capacity. And I think we're supposed to latch on to that because there are times later where at one point, I think it's Joe who's like, I call him the tag war guy. He's always trying to get Henry to come down and essentially just manipulate fans. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about it in a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about tag war in a little bit, but he, at one point is trying to get Bruce to come down with, or Bruce to come down with him. There's another scene where uh, Joe wants him to play and Bruce is asleep and he's like, we'll bring Bruce in. And he's creating this tension between himself and other players and the manager of like, why do you care so much? And I'm sort of asking the same question because there's no point in the movie where I feel like he's given a reason. Is it because there's something inside of Henry that he's trying to resolve? Did he as a kid bully someone or get bullied or what's the motivation here? And we don't get much of that. Now, when we get the action of it, there are pockets of scenes where I love how Henry comes to Bruce's aid like at one point there's this nice little scene where they're at bruce's parents house and they're fishing and (laughs) robert de niro chewing that tobacco oh my gosh i mean he had literally it's chewing tobacco he's literally chewing tobacco and it's gross and gray at the same time but he's like i've fished here for years and i never once drowned and i fought through vietnam so we're getting a little backstory not much why does this have to be me 
And this is a moment where Henry's able to sort of be a friend. So we're, we're getting highlights as a movie that doesn't have like sports highlights. We're getting highlights socially of these two men. But I had trouble buying into the fact that aside from feeling sorry for Bruce, which feel, feels a little weird, like we don't know much about their past history. If there has been one, why latch on to him? And I think that it sort of diminishes those scenes where he's coming to his aid. Like at one point, Henry's talking to one of the other relief pitchers and he that's the first time he confesses that Bruce is dying and that relief pitcher's like, yeah, I won't tell a soul. And of course, the scene later, <laughs> he's he's telling, I'd tell my roomie. And so, you know, it starts that ball rolling. I just never felt the impact of Henry's side of things. Like, why would he do something like this? Because I think that would have made it more compelling on what is it about Bruce besides I, I don't I don't have enough compassion to have to look at a character who's feeling sorry for someone else. That's just not enough for me. And so it waters down some of those moments where he is coming to his aid. I mean, there's a great scene. My wife was watching it with me and kind of wondering what was going on. But that one scene where after Bruce, it's either before or after the doctor comes in when he has that little like attack and he says, he, he gets Henry to hug him and he says something. Honestly, Aaron, that felt a little kind of humorous to me. Like the way it was delivered did not feel feel like, oh my gosh. And maybe it's the lack of music. Maybe it's because, again, this is a movie that feels dated in terms of its production. But at no point did I really feel the weight of what Bruce was dealing with and subsequently the weight of what Henry was taking on. If Henry had been badgered, if Henry had been like completely like attacked by his teammates, by the manager because he wasn't telling the truth, that would have provided a little bit more for me because at least he would have been involved in that fight with Bruce. But at this point, it just sort of feels like a, like a bodyguard saying, Hey, no, no more questions, no more questions. And I'm going to use humor. I'm going to use the clap. I'm going to use um, going hunting and fishing as ways to sort of uh, fade off any kind of uh, questioning from Dutch. So that it just really felt like it wasn't giving me enough drama for what the situation was. Yeah, I, I think it was just kind of like sleepwalking the movie in a lot of ways. I felt like the performances were like that. I didn't really particularly love De Niro. He didn't get, I don't know, he was just so plain for De Niro playing a guy who was supposedly of low intelligence. Uh, and then I definitely didn't necessarily think that Henry's actor was very charismatic didn't have a lot of energy to him. Very stoic. He, Yeah, very stoic, which I mean, I'm sure was the character, but it, you know, it didn't translate very entertainingly to a cinematic version. I, I do think that there's something interesting in this movie to look at from the side of just remembering that baseball players, professional baseball players in this era had jobs. It's crazy. Like he's selling insurance on the side. Yeah, because this is just a it's just a part time job for him. This well, it's not one, Major League Baseball. It's the it's the New York like uh, mud mud butters or monarchs or something. It's not the Yankees. Like it, it's I, I know, but I think it's supposed to be. It's a fictional version of Major Leagues. I mean, it's not. Oh, gotcha. it's meant okay. to be the professional World Series. Gotcha. My bad. My bad. It's just a fictionalized team name. But you know, still those guys still. It's not like today where you play your sport for four months out of the year and you take eight months to do whatever, train, you know, go to go on holiday, stay in shape, maybe do the Olympics every couple of years or whatever. The, these guys had jobs. So when they call in that catcher at the end to come back, you know, he's an English teacher <laughs> and he's like, I don't know, I can't just up and leave my team. And they're like, yeah, but we'll give you, you know, a cut of the World Series winning share if we win and we'll give you X amount per week. And it was just a thing that they had to be willing to do on the side, uh, but they did, they had to have other jobs as well to get by. And that's interesting dynamic to what they're having to go through um, in life. And then there's that whole subplot in this one, which also I don't recall being in the one hour TV special. So this is 
Oddly, it's about an hour and a half, so they added more to it, or or they adapted more because it is based on a book, and I haven't read the book, so maybe this was in the book and they had to cut it out for the short version. But the whole bit of Bruce having this uh, woman who was attracted to him that wanted to marry him, but she just wanted to get him to change his beneficiary, and the ethical dilemma of Henry refusing to do it. Because he knew what was happening, even though he was being told to do otherwise. I found that really interesting. And I actually might have liked if we leaned into that a little more, because I thought that was a compelling, realistic thing that would happen uh, is someone to be taken advantage of in that way. Somebody sure. like Bruce. Yeah, I, I look at that as, I think, a relevant subplot, but not one that ties to the main plot really effectively. Like, again, there there are just pockets of subplots that are happening. I And I don't think you have to lean into one and ignore the others. I just need to know how they tie together. And so as I'm watching this, I have to – I'm going through my watch, and I'm like, okay, I don't like this movie. But let me look at it from Kareem's point of view. You know, we're on a first-name basis. Now we're talking. And I'm looking at his criteria, his three areas. So let's work backwards. I have to want to watch it again and again. Okay, that's off the table. And I get that it doesn't have to be all three of these. It can be one or two or all. It has to capture the essence of whatever sport's being featured. I don't think it does that. In fact, I think at one point when Bruce hits a triple or hits a double or something, it's the same footage. Like I think he uses the same uh, camera or the the same footage for, for both moments. And again, not a bad thing. It's been done before. But... He says part of that intensity is of the actual sports scenes. And I never felt that tension. I just felt like we were watching sort of a, a highlight reel of something off sports center. Like, hey, you got on base. Great. Good. Okay. So that leaves one. The story has to offer some intelligent insights into the drive to compete and the effects of that, that the effects that competitiveness has on the protagonist and the others around him. It hits here a little bit. We get some redemptive, like, like a renaissance of capability from Bruce. The team is like, yes, we, we're going to get better. But I think it only does it like halfway. And I think it's because I never felt that from him or the team. If what I felt from, um, if what I felt from Henry was a sense of feeling sorry for Bruce, I felt that sort of enlarged on a team scale. Like at no point did I feel like the team was like, dude, Bruce, you're amazing. Otherwise, they wouldn't have brought in a catcher <laughs> that was actually younger and better. And I was watching the end of the Masters today, and I thought, Bruce is kind of like the Freddie Couples of this team, where he's sort of on his way out. He has like highlights. But at the end of the day, he's still seven over. Even though he's on the <laughs> on the tour he is still not going to be the guy that you're looking at. He's past his prime and he's there just because he loves it. And the fact that being there is enough. Like if I could make the masters, if I can make the cut, I'll go 15, 20, 30 over if I need to, to be able to play at Augusta. That's fantastic. And I kind of felt like that with, with Bruce in that he never really did anything. He never had like a speech. He never felt to me like he was the rah, rah guy. He felt like he was sort of the mascot of like, Let's do it for Bruce until we win. And then nobody's coming to his funeral. <laughs> and I'm like, really? I mean, it it really felt like he was a pawn in this. And if I mean, I don't think that was the intent of the filmmakers or of the author. I mean, I haven't read the book either. I haven't seen the uh, the special as uh, as you have. But I want to quote something from Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He says, this movie isn't a melodrama about dying like Brian's song. Okay. At one point, Bruce says, quote, everybody be nice to you if they knew you were dying, unquote, to which Henry replies, quote, everybody knows everybody is dying. That's why people are as good as they are, unquote. The movie is about how people treat each other in the face of death, what we find value in, and how the game just keeps rolling along with or without us. I think he's, tr I think he's right for the most part. The challenge is that story isn't compelling to me in this in this execution, I would love to see a, an updated version of this story done with major league teams with more like moments on field. Like we get in a movie like 61 
because to me this is that's what i'm talking about like 61, 61 exactly. i think hits the notes for me yes it does it i want to watch it again and again it does have uh intelligent insights into the drive to compete between maris and mantle that to me is the execution of a movie like this and nobody's dying in this one I felt like, just like what he said, it's it's not like Brian's song. And you and myself said the exact opposite. This is like Brian's song for uh, for baseball. <laughs> because all that we're focusing on is the death of Bruce. Like, eventually he's going to die. And I'm like, I don't really care that he's dying. I mean, what impact is he having in this last season? And if what you're telling me, Kareem, is that it's just about life going on and that people are mean, well... Okay, that's fine, but that's not enough to leave a lasting impact for me as a as a spectator watching a movie like this. The yes, I'm so with you here. The only place that it worked enough for me to get me over that hump to where I, I liked this movie overall, I still enjoyed it, was the fact that though I was frustrated that nobody liked Bruce until they found out he was dying. And then there was a sudden light switch that gets flipped and they're all best friends and they all care about him and they all want to do the best things for him that's possible, which is a great feel good, rah, rah, the best of humanity on display. Look how we can be moment. I'm cynical and part of me goes, that's not realistic. And so it's hard for me to take it seriously. But what I did like about the way they depicted it is. I felt like there was enough there that showed me that even though it was unfortunately due to these guys now knowing Bruce was dying, they then made the effort to get to know Bruce past this stereotype of who he was because of his lack of intelligence, frankly, and not necessarily being great at baseball. Their resentment of him, they started to get to know him more as a person and interact with him and meet him where he was. And then they became friends with him as a human being because they didn't view him merely as needing to accomplish X as a teammate in order to have value. They started to value his humanity some. And I felt like that came out even if it wasn't executed perfectly. Yeah. It was enough that it, it, it didn't ruin it for me. And I and I love the ending line that Kareem talks about in his blog post, too, as being so powerful. And he says it's something that has stayed with him, he says, for 50 years, which is Henry saying, you know, as a narrator, because throughout there's these short moments where you hear him just speaking off camera and you kind of quickly realize because his nickname is author in the movie that you He's writing a memoir after the fact, after Bruce has died, about this situation. But that that final line is, from here on in, I rag nobody. And I do agree with Kareem, like, it's a great lesson. And for that reason, if somebody used to watch this movie and have their behavior challenged of the fact that, hey, guess what? You don't have any idea. You could be treating this person like crap, judging them based on whatever reason you have to judge them that you're coming up with, and they may be dying within six months. And maybe you should think about how you might treat them differently if you knew that. Not that you should treat them differently because of that, but that that should trigger to you that you should be treating them differently anyway. And so I kind of do appreciate that. And I like what the overall intent, like we've said several times in this movie was, even if it wasn't you know, quite perfectly stitched together as an mm-hmm. entertaining movie for 90 minutes. Yeah. Well, I, I, I would agree with that. And I think that I wholeheartedly agree with that statement from here on in. I rag nobody because I have had as recently as the last three months, three or four months been in situations where I've been talking to someone. Here's a little story. I was at a swim meet for, uh, there's a, a family of people that my wife and I are friends with their son swims um, we were out there supporting them. At one point, someone on the swim team, they were telling us that there's this like 26-year-old swimmer who swims in like a pink Speedo, and he's on this team with like 16, 17-year-olds because the team itself is a statewide team. And so he uses these tournaments, uh, these meets to qualify him for his age group around the country. So it makes sense. 
but we were sort of hung up on when we saw him working out and we were like, man, look at him. I mean, he's just got his whole routine. And it came across a little bit like we were making fun. Turns out to my left was his mother-in-law. So foot and mouth, I'm trying to recover. And I was reminded in that moment, you know what? You never know who's watching. You never know who's listening. And the fact is, I shouldn't be doing that. I should not be at the expense of making myself sound funnier or providing some kind of like ha-ha moment be at the expense of someone else. It's fine to point out stuff. It's not fine to do it in mixed company, especially when you know. It's it's like that idea that were you were you sorry or were you sorry you got caught, that kind of thing. And I'm fully fine with saying, I'm sorry I got caught, but it's definitely caused me to change what I say, knowing that in a big group of people, I need to make sure that what I'm saying, even if it's something that's very interesting, I could say that pink speedo stands out, but you know what? I'm sure he's an amazing swimmer. You know, the fact that he's doing this and that's an amazing routine. You know, I can call that stuff out and not sound like a jerk. So I completely agree with the fact that the message in here, it's it's there. It's not absent. It's not like at the end of all this, he says that and I'm like, wait, what? No, I mean, it was there and it was a through line. It just wasn't very strong for me. And one of the things that I, I look at in relation to that is this, this game Teg War. So it gets introduced and it's probably one of the more fascinating parts of the movie for me because of what it tries to do. So Teg War... As explained in the movie, it stands for the exciting game without any rules. And it's introduced to Bruce by Frank whenever um, we get to the, uh, Bruce's parents' house and they play it on Bruce's dad. And it's a funny scene where he and it's really just you're just throwing cards down and you're saying like funny words, but it's played again later to basically fleece fans who think they know something about a player like I, I got hints of the fact that you know when we see you know Taylor Swift on social media saying this and we're like oh man I follow her and yeah I know what she's like because I follow her Instagram and you know you look at Ryan Reynolds and Blake Lively and how you know they're great we, we talk about this a lot when we see them you know together on Instagram we're like dude we could totally hang out with them we can't hang out with them we don't know these people they know people and some of their people don't know us you know, whatever so when I look at that I think this idea of tag war creates this sort of 1970s version of social media where you bring a fan in and the fan's like, oh, yeah, 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 I know this game. It's cool. I'm going to be cool with you guys. And then they get taken for like, you know, hundreds of dollars because they're just playing along because they don't want to look stupid. And I think that some of that thematically ties into this notion of not knowing people. And when the same thing happens as Bruce's illness is found out, I think that's part of why Frank wants to bring him into Teg War because he's like, listen, you don't know this guy. I know him. He deserves to be a part of this. And I think metaphorically he's saying he deserves to be a part of the team. He actually brings some value to the team. I don't personally agree with that as a spectator, but I get what the movie's trying to do. And so I think Teg War as a metaphor kind of works. Jabbar says... Teg War is life, the exciting game with any rules that we are forced into playing and must somehow find meaning and joy in. I sort of halfway agree with that. I think if he added at the expense of other people sometimes with with or without meaning to, I think that's more accurate. This is fascinating to me. I just listening to you describe your takeaway from it versus how I responded to it and how well, tell me yours. I'd drastically different. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was dumb. I thought it was fine. I mean, it's fine for a movie, right? For a movie to make up a game. And I found it to be humorous and amusing. But I could not get past my own personal, like, viewpoint of how ridiculous it would be to be caught up in this. Like, when they show it at the beginning, when they're teaching Bruce's dad the game, I felt like Bruce's dad, where he's just like, but you just what are you doing? And Bruce is like, six plus five, that's 11. And Henry's like, yeah, oh, good job. And his dad's like, what? That's not, a, what's the rules? And he's like, well, there is no rules, but there are rules and we just kind of make them up as we go. Like, I can't compute. So I, for me, like, I just can't understand how anyone would care so much about saving face that they would actively ignore the fact that there are no rules to a game and play it anyway especially if it meant losing their money in order just to try and look cool because i'm not that guy i'm not the guy who just 
drinks under peer pressure at the bar when I'm 21 and overseas and all my Navy friends are like, well, no, we got a, you know, we got a shot, 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 shot. Oh, but here, Aaron, we, I bought you this shot. Well, you wasted your money. I told you I didn't want it. I didn't want it. I'm not, I've never had a problem with that. Right. I'm, I'm straight. I just do what I want to do. I, and I'm very much a rule follower. And so, and boy, and especially when it comes to games. So for me, I'm thinking all about like my board gaming life and my video games. And, and dude, like I, I'm rules. I am the rule guy, like to a fault sometimes because I can be too hardcore about it. But like, I just, this game was giving me anxiety because it just, it is stupid and chaotic and just doesn't need to exist. And I know that's the whole point. But I couldn't get to any like higher metaphor because I just looked at it as the dumbest creation of anything. Like it, it, it does feel like it fits though. It feels like the kind of thing that people traveling the country in a clubhouse together, you know, spending their nights on the road, doing nothing but playing baseball for twelve hours a day, games practice, and they have this small amount of free time and they're trying to figure out what to do with it, would it's it's like being on a ship on a six month appointment. You just kind of come up with stuff to do. So I I understood it, but yeah, I didn't I couldn't find deeper meaning in it personally. So I liked yeah. your version. <laughs> well, and I think I think to add to that, when Frank brings Bruce in, I mean Bruce is essentially the victim of tag war. He didn't know what it was, and so in any other case, his personality. I kept man honestly, I kept thinking about of mice and men, this relationship between these two brothers. And how Frank was protecting Bruce by bringing him into Teg War, by basically giving him the secret. Yeah, there's no rules to it. And so you can say whatever. This is the one time that I think Bruce is able to just say whatever because he's just goofy and portrayed as dumb. And what he's saying is actually the smartest thing you can say because the game's rules, in that there are none, cater to that stupidity. They cater to that that dumbness. And I think that's where the brilliance of Teg War is for me, is that Frank brought him in to say, this is your comfort. This is your spot where you are absolutely going to feel the most comfortable because you can say, yeah, one plus one equals 35. Didn't you know that? Yeah, Frank, didn't you know that? And he's like, yeah, I'm going to agree with you because it's the game without any rules. So I think that had not that it was the pivotal moment of bringing him into Teg War, but I think the comedic sense, just like with, um, Dutch, the manager, his comedic performances are entertaining, but they they further the story a little bit. I think Teg War does the same thing. I didn't want to see a whole movie about Teg War. This is not like, you know, playing Texas Hold'em and I want to see like 21 or Rounders or anything like that. What I wanted to see and what I got was that Teg War was not just some kind of goofy thing that was introduced. It did have a have a purpose. And I think knowing what the themes were going into it, um, not going into it, but the, you know, figuring out what the themes were, it does sort of feel like it fits into that world a little bit. Yeah, I agree. Real quick, can I share just a couple quick thoughts on the original adaptation of this? So I watched this as part of a Criterion set that they had put out of the golden air age of television. And it was a, it's a whole bunch of like, 50 minute tv episodes i think some of them may be a little bit longer but it's a bunch of old shorts episodes of tv slash movies whatever you want to call them that actually aired live back in the day where they were a lot mostly like stage plays right and the actors would have to be filming to a live hollywood audience and live on tv around the world or around the country and so like for example, at the end of this, during his final monologue as Henry, Paul Newman flubs a name and you can literally see him because this is what went out and this is what got recorded. Like he, you, you can tell he misses up the name and he, his face kind of shows it and it takes him a split second to start to kind of recover from it as he continues on. And it's really interesting to watch it that way. So it plays out like a stage play and Paul Newman it is Henry, which he, this was early in Newman's career, but undeniable star power. Just you, it, he just oozes it, like we talked about earlier. And I loved the way he portrayed the character more so than uh, whoever it was in the feature length film. Uh, by far, I just like if you would have taken Newman and put him in the feature length film, oh man, like it would have ratcheted it up quite a bit. I think. So anyway, it's black and white. 
And as Henry, what he does is he comes towards the camera and he narrates what is going on. He gives backstory and then he will kind of walk into a scene and then we will have something happen. And then he'll walk out and then we'll he'll walk into a scene. It'll be the contract negotiation scene, right? Or he'll walk into the scene. It'll be in the baseball, you know, uh, locker room or something. And, and I really enjoyed it more so than I did the first one because there's no baseball. There's no there's no way for them to actually be on a baseball diamond because they're on a single Hollywood stage filming this thing. And it worked for me cutting out the baseball completely and just focusing on the drama and the fact that they were baseball players. I also really liked the actor that was playing Bruce. His name is Albert Salmi. And I liked him more than I liked De Niro simply because he didn't come off nearly as over the top kind of dumb. You know, you know what I mean? Like he De Niro really plays it up as a complete and bumbling just idiot whereas this guy it was much more reserved uh in nature and so i i thought that that worked much better for the story as well because it was hard to believe that someone that was like as quote dumb i hate to use these words but like that's what they say in the movie but they they continually say that bruce doesn't have any intelligence I, I have a hard time believing that he's even in that major league locker room. Like you said, like, what is he offering? He's not great behind the plate. He's not a great catcher. And he doesn't have a lot of intent. Like, why is he even there? Um, obviously, because Henry brings him. But why was he there before that, you know, is the question. And so this one, I felt like it didn't nearly lean into making him over the top that uh, silly and ridiculous. So I really enjoyed it. It was just a different kind of vibe to it completely, um, but very, very intriguing. And it was just neat to see the two different ways that they portrayed it. And it was funny to me to like the one with zero baseball better. Well, that's that's what I was going to comment on is the fact that does the story work without the baseball element? And it sounds like more concise. Again, having not read the book, I don't know what's in it and what's not. but it sounds like this should have been an hour long kind of made for TV movie where you have, you know, you don't have to expand stuff like that because really the point of the story was about Frank as much as it was about Bruce. And that's the thing is he is the driving factor. And I think that I, I want to watch the, I want to watch the Paul Newman one. Cause I'd be curious to know if he's just as reserved and I know you've already described it. Uh, pretty well, but I'd like to just sort of make my own comparison of watching these two actors and how they portray Frank specifically. That's one thing that kind of bothered me is that every time he would talk, it would be as if he just didn't care. No, he cared, but he was never emotional. He was just you know, stoic or just straight faced. And he would sit back and go, that's what I'm talking about. You know, where'd you go up to Minnesota? What were you doing there? Went fishing. And I get why he was saying things the way he was. He was trying to be very minimal. But even when he was narrating, it was as if he was just sort of reading from, like he was reading his book. It was an audio book is what I was listening to. And it never felt like he had enough like emotion connected with Bruce. So again, that scene where Bruce, Bruce kind of lays into him and gives him a big hug, it felt a little weird because it, they hadn't earned that moment, for my opinion besides just being roommates and him saying, I'm going to carry you. The other thing, I don't know if the movie talks about this or if the play does, but does Bruce ever find out that Frank has made this deal with the manager? I don't think he has, because that would have been something really interesting that what if Bruce found out and then their friendship was severed? Like, I'm not your patsy. I'm not the guy you need to make, you know, feel sorry for. That would have been really compelling. What is real friendship? Does real friendship have to lean into just, me being a you know a savior for you being codependent or do we have a legit friendship here where you can equally care for me as I can care for you that would have been really cool because to me that's what friendship is is whenever you're able to it's not just one person leeching off of another and saying you're my hero it's us saying look i need you as much as you need me and we need and, and that's why our friendship works and i i didn't get that i got a one-sided friendship there i agree 
I agree. And I think they would have had to rewrite Bruce completely, though, because, again, they play him as so dumb and so simpleton that I don't believe that he would have the capacity to even acknowledge that that might be an issue (laughs) and to go. I don't think that he he doesn't strike me as the kind of character who would get upset and have the ability to process that maybe he's just being taken care of as this, you know, puppy dog. And I, I just truly, he's played so simple. And I think he would have had to have more agency yeah. for that to work. But I do agree that would have made for a more interesting movie to me is to bring that element into it again. Like when he, when Henry makes that call to like, not do what he says he was going to do with his insurance, that's a big deal that doesn't fully get explored in the way that I was like, man, that's a, that's a, that's a huge plot. That would have been a great way to segue into you're doing what? Oh, and you're also, wait, you brought me along via a contract? Like, mm-hmm. what are you talking about? You know, it all kind of the whole fact that they that Bruce is not intelligent is like a hang up for me. Do this yeah. same story with him just being an actual replacement level player, baseball player who is decent and has had some career success behind him in the past that you could point to and has just been sick lately and then just base it on the illness as the crux of the of the whole thing then i think you have a stronger film potentially yeah yeah because i think i think one last season in the sun i think is a great kind of overarching umbrella give us that season and elevate baseball Elevate the sport, elevate the romance of the sport. So Sam Raimi's For Love of the Game, that elevates the sport of baseball and also balances out this relationship that Costner has in his life and how with, with, with the character Jane, it's so well balanced, but it's intermixed with this perfect game that he's going for without even realizing it. And the tension there, Aaron, is so fantastic. And it's it's movies like that that are able to balance this being a baseball movie. For Love of the Game is a baseball movie. Why? Because if you didn't have the intercuts of the scene, not just the scenes themselves, but what was happening in those scenes during that game, it would just be another romantic comedy with more drama about these two characters. But the fact is, Costner cares equally as much about the game of baseball as he does about this girl. And they come in conflict at one point. That's the way you tell a story that has the deep seated dramatic elements that are not on the diamond or on the football field or whatever, but you also connect them back to a sport that is romantic. And I think that that's, what's missing here is that we got drama and then we got a few baseball shots. I mean, I need more. I need some stuff happening in the field. We got close when Bruce is in the last game and he's struggling behind the plate and he finally get that last out. That's cool. But again, it felt a little anticlimactic, but that's the closest we get. And I think if you had more of that and you amplify, if you just amplified things more, the characters, the plot, if it just felt less subdued, then I think it would have worked better for me. Uh, Roger Ebert said, instead of going for a lot of high points, the movie paints characters in their everyday personalities. And I think that's to its detriment for me. For him, he liked it. For me, I don't. Because baseball's not a terribly exciting game. I mean, it's very much a chess match. And I think you can play that every day. It doesn't have to be spectacular all the time. But there's ways to do it, specifically with baseball, that keep that romance there. The natural does it occasionally and it doesn't do it with a lot of baseball scenes. 61's the same way. You've got montages that help with that, that create establishment establishing shots like that. But this one just didn't have enough balance for me. Yeah. That was the other thing is Wigan as a pitcher, Henry, they don't show him as being dominant enough to me Mm -hmm. to warrant the contract negotiation for both salary and the the fact he's, that he's bringing yeah. this guy along like the way he negotiates that contract in that room you would think that this is like you know i don't know max scherzer winning cy young level back to backs or whatever like this is 
the ace of the entire Major League Baseball system at that time. And he's a game he, three starter in this one. He's, he's not. Yeah, he's yeah. like just a dude like he's an OK pitcher. And I was like, that's kind of weird that you would give up all of this just to, for an OK pitcher. But maybe you should show us why he's a little bit better than the rest of the guys. Uh, yeah, there was that scene that I laughed at when he kept getting teed off on. And I'm like, is this your best? Yeah. I mean, show me your moment. Now, again, there were again, there were a couple of scenes where he was just striking kids out left and right, but there wasn't enough of that to think, okay, is that the normal thing? Or is he just like high off of the fact that, you know, this is like, <laughs> or this is Bruce's last game. I got to, I got to go and throw. I just, I didn't get that quite as much. Yeah. Me, me either. By the way, I sent you a link uh, on YouTube it looks like the 1956 uh, short episode that was on TV that aired uh, is is there. So, oh great, okay. If anybody else out there wants to check that one out with Paul Newman, you can YouTube it. Excellent. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Feeling Film. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this conversation. I know I have. Even if we didn't love the movie, I'm glad that we got a chance to watch it and you know find out where we sat with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and his picks. Yes or no, it's still fun to to experience that and good stuff there. We're going to continue the sports love. Continuing next week, we have Paul and Jordan from Cinematic Underdogs coming on to talk about the latest Ben Affleck movie, Air, which I hear is getting a lot of good reviews. I'm excited to watch. I know it's been out for a couple of weeks, so really, really jacked about going to the theater. I know my wife's looking forward to it because she's a big Jordan fan. We like The Last Dance, and we're excited to see this movie as well. So come back for that conversation. It should be a good one. Aaron, thanks for this conversation and we'll talk soon. Hey everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group, A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filled.